From the WNET Group in New York, hi, I'm Tom Stewart, and this is WNET Up Next, where we take you behind the scenes for a look at what's happening in the world of public media and help you get to know the people who create our content. Our guest today is author Phil Cly, who's the host of American Veteran Unforgettable Stories, a podcast series which is part of GBH's multi-platform American Veteran Initiative, which also includes a four-hour broadcast and streaming documentary series and a 10-part digital series on YouTube. I volunteered for missions. It was just too exciting. Beware what you wish for. That's when the ambush starts. He was walking on the ridge line, and I fired. You are never the same. It's important for people to hear these stories, to understand why and when and where we send our sons and daughters to go and fight, but also in helping us to come home. Phil, who served in the United States Marine Corps in Iraq, is the author of Redeployment, winner of the 2014 National Book Award. His first novel, Missionaries, was released last year, and he is currently part of the MFA writing program at Fairfield University and is joining us today from Copenhagen. Phil, welcome to WNET Up Next. Thank you so much for having me. Phil, an American veteran, we hear from almost 50 American veterans from all branches of the military, from World War II to today. There is so much that American civilians don't know about our 18 million veterans, so hopefully this project can help correct that a bit. And also for the veterans, it's providing a platform where they can be truly listened to and heard. What do you hope that this series, in all its iterations, will accomplish? I think that it will do what it did for me. I've been writing about and thinking about veterans and interviewing veterans, and yet it exposed me to these new and incredible stories that provided me new ways of thinking about the veteran experience and what people do with it and where people go after their time in service. And so hopefully it'll kind of open a space for people to connect with the stories of veterans, demystify the military in a way that's good for just sort of civic understanding of, of ourselves as Americans all together with these people who, who go off and serve in war, but then come back and reintegrate into our communities. How did you get involved with this project? Oh, you know, I, I think they, they reached out to, to talk to me years ago. And then as the podcast idea came to fore with the idea that they could take some of these stories that are in the documentary and do them as sort of standalone episodes. You know, they thought that I, that I might be somebody who could post because, you know, <laughs> I, I, I tell war stories. That's what I've been, been focused on, trying to think about this sort of strange thing that happens when people come home and try and talk about where they've been, what they've done, what it means, and then also how experience in war can shape the rest of your life. I think oftentimes people think about that in terms of trauma. But one of the things that's really fascinating about this is, is you see the ways in which people's military service has led them into various different directions or sort of changed them in a whole variety of ways that are fascinating and surprising and really show the kind of tremendous diversity. There are just some incredible stories here. And having screened the series, the broadcast series, I can affirm the incredible diversity in many ways mm -hmm. of the people we meet, but they all share some certain aspects of being veterans. I just wanted to ask you about yourself. What actually led you to become a member of the armed forces and particularly the Marine Corps? Sure. You know, it's funny because 
although neither of my parents were in the military, my father was in the Peace Corps. My mother spent years in, in international medical aid. They both, you know, very much instilled in us, I'm one of five boys, an ethic of service. And actually three of us ended up joining the military. And I think that has a lot to do with the time when I was going to college. 9-11 happened. And then very soon we were at war in Afghanistan. And then after that, we were at war in Iraq. And it just seemed like the best thing that I could do to serve my country at that time was to join the military. We want to hear a lot more about your own experiences. But first, let's talk a little bit about the podcast series, American Veteran Unforgettable Stories. And my understanding is that each episode focuses on the direct testimony of a single veteran. Can you tell how that plays out? We have a veteran who is a D-Day, right, on ships bringing people to the beach. We go from the very beginning of his life all the way till now. And his story is absolutely incredible. You know, we have the first Black female POW, and not just the story of her captivity, but the whole of her life and the ways in which, you know, that experience has shaped her and what she's doing now. We have somebody who was a nurse in Vietnam, what that experience was like. We have sniper who served in Afghanistan. We have just this kind of incredible range of people, every different kind of political persuasion, you know, people who became anti-war activists. We had one World War II veteran who loved his time in the service, loved his time doing one of the most dangerous jobs uh, mm -hmm. in, in the precursor to the Air Force, who discovered gay life while he was in the military, you know, just all sorts of little corners of experience that you wouldn't necessarily expect, but that are incredibly illuminating. Now, as to the broadcast series, which I will point out begins airing on October 26th, the first chapter is called The Reckoning, and it deals mm -hmm. a lot with boot camp, and it's narrated by someone who surprised me that he was a former Marine, but Drew Carey. But as he points out, he still has the, the same haircut. Uh, but it talks about the line between boot camp and after boot camp. So going back to your experience, what was boot camp like for you? So I, I went to Officer Candidate School in Quantico, Virginia, and I had a little bit of an advantage because my brother had been there beforehand. And, you know, it's... Uh, it doesn't look like a picnic, you, just let me say. It's, it's you know, it's, it's an interesting experience that I'm glad I did once. <laughs> I think that most people could benefit from having come from boot camp. You know, the experience of having a, a sergeant instructor screaming directly into your face while you think to yourself, like, okay, this is interesting. You know, this mm -hmm. is. Uh, so, do you learn uh, a certain kind of detachment from that? Is there, do you sort of detach from, from it and, and be able to be that, oh, this is interesting? Yeah, a certain, certain level of detachment. I, I just think that it's a good crucible. It's not the military, right? In some ways, there's a certain degree of performance to it, right? But there's also a, a challenge to it and a pride that comes from having gone through it. Funny stories about the things that the, the sergeant instructor said, sometimes horrible stories about what the sergeant instructor said. But, you know, it's a, it's a good, bad experience. Someone in this series says that you are best served by either being invisible or being a true achiever. Did you find yeah. that true? <laughs> you know, I liked being sort of not the top, but sort of in, kind of in the middle of the pack where you just kind of blend in, uh, you know, hopefully a little bit towards the higher end of the pack. Yeah, you definitely don't want their attention. And you don't want to say anything particularly dumb. I remember they asked me what the muzzle velocity of M16 was. And I substituted miles per hour for meters per second. 
and then they just sort of roasted me uh, for the next five minutes like how did the scientists figure that out did they did they go to the indianapolis 500 and shoot a bullet right as the car went past and then have the driver look at his window and tell you how fast the bullet was going uh, but you know it was, it was interesting and also you would sometimes get things that were sort of a little bit intense there was a a gunnery sergeant who had he'd served in Iraq, and the rumor was he'd killed a man with a radio or there's something like that. I don't know if that was true, but uh, he would come and he would ask us these like wild questions, right? About like what would you do, you know, if there were like civilian casualties, a bomb had dropped, and a an Iraqi man had died, and their son comes up to you asking you what's going on with their father. What do you say to that Iraqi kid, right? And it was these very intense questions where, you know, we're standing there, it was 2004, and we're thinking like, oh, yes, like, okay, this is the stakes of what we're signing up to do are, are very, very real. And, you know, they're high moral stakes. The second hour in the broadcast is called The Mission, and it brings to bear how military life can change lives in unexpected ways. And there are many stories, including that of Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois, who won the Purple Heart from her army service in Iraq. Now, according to what I know, you were a communications officer there. What did that really mean? What does a communications officer do? So I, I was a public affairs officer. So I worked okay. with the media. I, I had a group of Marines who worked for me. There were combat correspondents. They wrote articles for the base paper, families back home, about what our units were doing. We also coordinated with media if they needed to do interviews, if they were going to come in and embed with the unit. We would help them do that. I was the advisor to the general, and I did other things. You know, briefly, I was the aide de camp to my general uh, for like a couple of weeks, that sort of thing. But I was in, I was in Iraq in, in 2007 and, and the beginning of 2008. And the sort of fascinating thing about that, John, was that I got to spend time with a lot of different types of units. You know, I'd go out on patrol with infantry guys, or I'd spend time with the doctors, or, or the mortuary affairs guys, or the engineers, or guys doing maintenance. And so I got to see a lot of different kind of corners of the military experience and what we were doing. I've just read a little bit of redeployment, but it seems like you must have had very intimate conversations and knowledge of a lot of these people who wind up in the book. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the book is a work of fiction, but it definitely draws on the people that I met, stories that I heard things that happened and then also things that I learned afterwards that I talked to veterans about. You know, I talked to as part of the veteran community in New York. I interviewed people as part of a group of veterans who were trying to think through like, okay, like what does America look like now that we're back? Right. And what does this experience mean? And what does it mean as the wars continue? Now was writing redeployment helpful for your own growth and process in dealing with your experiences? My experiences were not bad. They were very positive in many ways, but I think there were a lot of things that sort of troubled me or confused me or just they were simply deeply important to me to figure out. And writing redeployment was a way to try and start asking, I suppose, the kind of questions that were most vital to me about war and coming home. One of the things you see in the podcast is that the meaning of that military experience and what it was and how we should feel about it, how we should talk about it is something that, that a lot of these veterans come to and continue to process and think about and talk about because it's important, right? Because, you know, we send people to war. That is morally important. It is often a deeply profound experience for those who go through that. And so naturally, 
you spend the time after that thinking about it and trying to understand, you know, how should I think about it? How should I talk about it? What does this mean for me now as I integrate back into the civilian community? Did you find the civilian world sort of an uncertain world when you came back? Did you feel that the military world had been sort of your solid base of operations? Things look very strange when you come back home because, you know, when you're in the military, you're in this very enclosed society that's very focused on on the mission and everybody's kind of on the same page and focused on the same things. And then you go out into the civilian world and it's like a lot of individuals focused on a lot of different things and trying to figure out like, what is my place in it now? It's a process, right? And it's something that people work out over time as they sort of you know move from, from the old tribe of the Marine Corps and start forming a new one in their civilian life. I think the thing that was sort of most jarring was probably just the kind of sense, and I felt this in 2007, you know, there were people who were fighting and dying overseas. And for me, it didn't necessarily feel like we were a nation at war, right? And I think that um, at the time I thought, well, if, I was, if this was a different war, this was World War II, I wouldn't feel that way. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case, right? There's always that sort of gulf just because it's a uh, if you go out to fight a war, it's a radically different experience. And so, you know, how you come back to that, how do you communicate that to your friends and family is always going to be something you need to negotiate over time. I think in some of these earlier wars, at least from my reading, more of a sense of national unity behind the wars and more of a sense of the veterans coming home, the conquering heroes than today when it's kind of ignored. When my generation came home, we got thank you for your service. We got a very positive reaction in many ways. And, and you know, some of the veterans who served in Vietnam talk about a very different type of you know, social environment that they're coming back to and a much more challenging place to be able to actually have real conversations about the war or even have their service acknowledged in important ways. It's a very, you know, mm-hmm. fascinating discussion by Vietnam nurse because it's not just that Vietnam was a contentious war. But that, you know, oftentimes we've undervalued the service of women and the things that they've done and the sacrifice that women in the military have borne. And she talks about that and she talks about a memorial ceremony where she felt like that service was finally being recognized years later. It's a you know, very powerful moment. Thank you for your service. It seems to be kind of a controversial phrase. Some people think it's a, a bumper sticker mm-hmm. kind of response and that people don't really know what they're thanking the person for. What do you think about that phrase? I understand that, you know, the complaints that people have. And yet at the end of the day, I think that it is a good thing. You know, somebody trying to to express something, um, it's better than nothing. It can be the entry point to a conversation or not. But at the very least, it's somebody acknowledging, even if in a sort of rote way sometimes, but sometimes in a very earnest way, you know, that what you did was service and that, you know, I, as an American citizen, have a relation to that because you served on my behalf. And so I think that it's a good thing. Phil, in many of the stories we see, there seems to be a great deal of internal conflict within many of the veterans in terms of what they were fighting for. It's brought up that the oath of enlistment is actually to defend the Constitution. And that's not something you really hear a lot about when we talk about war. But you've been very specific about that. You don't sign up to defend a piece of land. You don't sign up to defend a person. You sign up to defend the Constitution. It ties you very directly to our founding documents, to our ideals, to our system of government, to representative democracy. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. 
Our withdrawal from Afghanistan has received an incredible amount of focus, whether it was the right thing to do, was it a defeat, was it a betrayal of those who served? What are your thoughts on this issue? I supported the withdrawal, right? Not every, not every one of my veteran friends did. The, a good number did. I think that the war was unpopular. The government that we were trying to prop up was dysfunctional, right? And so you could have poured as much money as you wanted to into, into a kind of dysfunctional structure and it never would have been sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the Taliban had steadily made advances. So if we hadn't withdrawn realistically, we would have been looking at the prospect of increasing troops in Afghanistan, which the American public didn't want to do and had a grave skepticism of the benefit of that and the long-term utility of that for very good reason because of the past 20 years or withdrawing under worse conditions. So I think that we withdraw was the right thing to do. I think that what greatly enraged a lot of people, including myself, was there were lots of flaws with the way the withdrawal happened. And I think one of the, the most obvious ones was with the evacuation. And many of us, you know, I've, I've been a part of the organization that's been advocating for visas for Afghans. The fact that there was going to be the need for an evacuation that might get very ugly, that was something that people knew for a long time and that advocacy organizations had been warning about and trying to push the administration to do better on. And the fact is that they didn't. Why do you think deaf ears on that from the administration? I don't know. To be fair to them, there was enormous backlog and a kind of mess in the system for processing those from the Trump administration, which was terrible on these issues, right? Absolutely terrible on these issues. And yet I don't think that that gives them a pass, right? It was chaos in terms of the evacuation. People were reaching out to connections because they knew a guy who was in the Marine unit that was at the airport and they were calling them up and having them, you know, like there's an Afghan who I worked with, you know, a lot of private groups were springing up to try and sort of find people and get them out. And it was, it was an example of the kind of sort of, you know, civic spiritedness that I'm talking about. It wasn't just veterans. It was a lot of non-veterans who were deeply concerned with this and were trying to help people. But it never should have been reliant on these like ad hoc groups that came together in, in a crisis. It should have been better prepared for. You have three children, and in the broadcast, <laughs> you talk about uh, the ideal of being a good husband and a dad, and that somehow service in Iraq was one of the things that protects that. Your ability to buy diapers, I believe, is the way is the quote <laughs> I have from you on that. But how do you feel about your service at this point in your life? And do you think that being a veteran will always be a part of your identity? It will always be a part of my identity. And I always have been proud to have been a Marine officer. I mean, I, I have a lot of complicated feelings about my service, a lot of complicated feelings about what America has done with the wars overseas, right? I think, how could you not, given how things have turned out? I was in, in Iraq with the UN in December, visiting the groups that the UN was working with to provide aid to refugees to provide aid for rebuilding Mosul. We drove through Mosul, uh, which had just been absolutely devastated in the battle against ISIS. I'd never seen a city with that level of destruction. I'd never seen anything like it outside of photographs of World War II. And you're talking to people about their lives under ISIS and and what that was like. It's... um, you know, raises a lot of very intense feelings about, you know, yourself as a veteran, as an American who played a hand in unleashing that chaos. 
right? Mm -hmm. When we went into Iraq without a, a really coherent plan. And yet I'm absolutely proud to been a veteran. I have so much love and admiration for the a lot of the Marines that I that I served with. Grappling with the the nature of the war and the failures, you know, where we did fail is very, very important because I think for the next generation, we owe it to them to be smarter. We owe it to them to be better. We owe it to them to have thought through not just military policy and strategy, but to have sort of better understood what the veteran experience is so that when they come home, we're better able to talk to them and be receptive to the, their stories and help them reintegrate into their communities so that they can sort of, you know, unleash the, the potential that they have. Because you know, a lot of these veterans, and as I said, you'll see it, are really kind of tremendous people with a lot to offer, right? They're the sort of people who signed up and said, I'll risk my life for my country. Uh, the kind of people who can do fantastic things in the civilian sphere, and you see that as well. And what else is ahead for you? Uh, what else is ahead for me? Raising three kids and, you know, trying to get some sleep and, and continuing to write. I have a book coming out next year of my essays, a lot of which deal with these subjects as well. Um, That's great. So, you know, and continuing on just uh, uh, thinking, thinking through, you know, America and its role in the world and, and who we are as, as citizens. Looking forward to reading more from you. Thank you so much. Our guest today is author Phil Cly. He's the host of American Veteran Unforgettable Stories, which is a podcast series available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as they like to say, wherever you get your podcast, that seems to be the phrase on podcasts. And of course, the four-hour broadcast series, American Veteran premieres on PBS on four successive Tuesdays, beginning on October 26th. And for more on that, you can go online to pbs.org and the PBS app. And the 10-part digital series, American Veteran Keeping It Close, hosted by Shane Brendan, is now rolling out through the fall on PBS Voices' YouTube channel. Thank you, Phil, and all the best to you going forward. Thank you. We'd also like to thank Beryl Levin of GBH and Carol White of Caremar. Thanks also to our audio engineer, Josh Broom, our executive producer, Dana McBride. And thank you for listening. And be with us again soon for another edition of WNET Up Next. You're welcome to share your questions and comments with us at upnext at WNET.org. And of course, do please become a subscriber. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design, On-Air Promotion, and Fundraising Department of the WNET Group. I'm Tom Stewart.